Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back to this week's episode of Grow or Die. I am Alora Testikoff from Firebird Summit. Hey, hey, everyone. I am Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Alora, Alora. Happy so New cool. Year. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> we're at the end of January and we're finally- Oh, my gosh. Our holiday break kind of took on a life of its own for a yeah, whole bunch yeah. of crazy reasons, but I am so excited to be back. Yeah. And more excited because today I'm dying to talk about something that totally unexpectedly unplanned has been a humongous topic for each of us independently. And I think it's a great thing for us to talk about today. Let's do it. That is buying a business. So as entrepreneurs, right, there are so many ways you can skin that particular cat. You can start a business, you can take it for someone else's, like any number of ways. And I think that, that, you know, I know that I do a lot of coaching work with people who have either recently bought a business or who have hit a point in their career where they feel like there's not necessarily that much growth they're going to do and kind of like the climbing the ladder model of what they're in. So does buying make more sense? Does starting their own? Like there's so much sort of Richard Branson Kool-Aid drinking about like, you know, the, the sexy glamour of having your own business kind of thing. And, you know, as someone who grew up in a family owned business, I never had a sexy view of what any of it looked like, right? Like we never got vacations. My dad, like, like, you know, my parents worked together and then they would fight together. <laughs> so, like, I, I grew up in like, you know, on the, on my dad's side of the family, I'm literally the fourth generation entrepreneur. So like, there's no romance to it in my worldview at all, but I also totally get why, and I have, I'm guilty of those fantasies too, right? There've been times when I'm doing the nine to five thing for someone else. And after a couple of years, three years, five years, whatever the hell it is, I'm just like, screw this, man. I'm so tired of like making other people money. Like, I just want to go out and do my own thing. And, and, you know, for me, one of the things that's always hilarious, I tend to vacillate, right? I go through these periods of my life where I'm like, screw everybody else. I'm going to be free and I'm going to do my own thing. And then the pendulum swings the other way. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm lonely. I want to be part of a team. I don't want to have to be responsible for my own pipe. Like, and I just go back and forth. And, and I have long since given up the idea that I'm supposed to be one or the other, because in reality, there are times in my life where, you know what, freedom and flexibility rule other times when stability and being part of a team rule. And I cannot always predict that. But what I always find is that when people are ready to start discussing or exploring, you know, running their own business, there are so many permutations of what that looks like, you know, and I, I love the journey that you've just recently kind of found yourself in very parallel to my fiance and the conversation he and I have been having because he is genetically incapable 
of working for someone else. Like he cannot do it. Like it is just not even possible. And, and if he tried, he would be unbearable to be around. Like he, and to be fair, I kind of feel like you fall into that same category. In I do. <laughs> which is why, which is why he loves listening to you. He's like, dude, Lawrence rocks. And I'm like, yeah, that's because the two of you have very similar weaknesses. Both of you are in no way inclined to be told what to do by anybody. Yeah. So, so, but, but the thing is, is that there are also really important things, especially, you know, again, this is one of those things that once you're over 40, you kind of run out of some, some excuses in the know you in the like sort of know thyself category, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're 20, you can say, Hey, I don't know. I've never done this before. I'm going to dive in and see how it goes. Get into it. You're like, dude, this blows. This is what I had. Screw <laughs> this. And yeah. But once you're in your forties, you're like, dude, I got a, I got a spouse. I got a mortgage. I got responsibilities. I also should be old enough to know better. And I should know that, no, you know what? I'm not getting up at five o'clock in the morning every morning anymore. Or no, I'm, you know, not willing to work all day on, you know, Sunday to catch up on my email before I go to work on my, like, there's so many things that we learn about ourselves. And I think if we don't do a good job of applying what we know about us to the opportunity that actually we're looking at, we're really in danger of making some bad choices. And so I would love to have you explain to us kind of some of what you've kind of figured out about yourself as you've been looking at the process of buying a business. And in your case, you were at a franchise, which I think is interesting because that comes with a lot of rules and a lot of other people's structure and framework, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you're going to be self-employed or be a coach or whatever, like that, that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily apply in that model. But I think this is a really useful thing because I think it's a great filter to understand yourself. So I would love for you to kind of, what, what was it about this opportunity that mm-hmm. was appealing to you? And then what was it that you found out as you were going through the process? Yeah, so it there there are a number of things that um, you know you think about entrepreneurship, and again, unlike you, um, I heard stories about my grandfather being an entrepreneur and learning how to do people's taxes and all the rest of that stuff. But you know, when he passed, I was eight, and so I never seen him in action, um, and so I didn't have a lot of le- I wasn't a legacy business owner, um, and so or I didn't know a lot. Like I knew one from church. Um, and my buddy's father, they had a engineering designing firm like that. Okay. That's not like a pop-up shop or nothing like, (laughs) like a design engineer. Um, and and so as it pertains to business and the opportunity, the reason why the the opportunity that I was pursuing, um, and again, was past tense is it it was, it was the sexy, sexy pick. Right. And, And to your point about working for someone, having that structure already built in, it was also, I believe in my mind, it was like, you know, kind of purpose, vision, direction. All right, good. I'm good with structure, right? The military did that to me. I blame it on them. Um, and, but it was already built. It just needed some other sweat equity. I was already well-built leader. I felt like I could add myself to that. Well, what, what I came up against was something you just alluded to, the freedom and flexibility to be whole as me in my business, right? And so if if that opportunity was the only thing out there, I believe my, my process and my mindset would have been totally different to go all in into that opportunity. 
But because I was sold out early on 2020 into, into boss, I actually had established myself around my values. I had established some partners. I had established uh, several different things. And what was happening is this conflict of identities and the conflict of, do you go and be soldier Major Henderson again, or do you be whole Lawrence in boss? And the conflict was, I had to sit, I got quiet and I said, okay, if I go all in on this, what am I giving up? And it was, it was clearly the, the old school pros and cons list. And there were all too many cons in the franchise opportunity to the extent that I didn't even feel whole. Like I didn't, like, I didn't even recognize the person I was trying to evaluate in that scenario. And so the answer became very evident is I was not honoring my family. I wasn't honoring me by going after something that I was enamored by. It was sexy. It was, it was a name recognition. It was, but my wife had to say something to me. She was like, uh, I kind of like boss. <laughs> like, it's kind of sexy. Um, and plus you've been developing that thing, but it really came down to this statement that I, I actually wrote. And I, and I've been telling my clients over and over again, it's like, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Just, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And, and I, and I, I was convicted because all the years in uniform, Jack of all trades, master of none, it was perpetuated. It was over and over and over again. We prided ourselves on not being specialist or these other things, but really it just was, it just made us crazy that we were like, okay, I just got to learn this job. I got to learn this job. And then we did what we had to do. But now on this side of life, now that I'm operating in purpose, now that I feel like I'm operating in a space all the time where I'm helping people in a way that I desire to help people, I literally would have been taking myself out the game with that other opportunity. And something just wasn't sitting right. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I love that point, right? Just because yeah. you can doesn't mean you should. This, yeah. is, this is one of the hardest lessons for me to really reconcile for myself in my, in my middle age, right? Because I spent so much of my early, the early part, I didn't say early, the first 20 years of my career, let's just put it that way. First 20 years of my career were about proving that I could. And so everything I took on was, it had to be bigger and harder and more complicated and ideally more high profile or whatever than what I had done before. And so there was, it was always climbing higher. And I've hit this point where my inclination for a big, bad, scary, like overwhelming kind of thing is to say, oh, sure, hell yes, bring it on. But the problem that I have had to learn to reconcile is that once I get into that, I'm like, Dude, this is the same boring shit I was doing before. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, what, what am I proving and to whom? Like, what? Like, I don't, I'm not even interested in doing this stuff anymore. But in the moment, and I've, I've really struggled with this. I have actually kind of had to learn to stop myself from responding to opportunities because I have a great network of people who really know what I have historically done. And they want me to come help them do that in wherever they are. And I'm like, but I, I don't wanna like, but I have to stop myself because in the moment when they say to me, 
oh, dude, there's this big, so I, the great example, one of the most consistent sources of new, like crazy, exciting projects called me about a year ago and said, with this amazing opportunity in Dubai. But basically I was gonna have to go to Dubai for a year and a half. Now, at that particular moment in time, I I don't know if I was living internationally yet, but my, my dog had died, I was single. Like I could have picked up and moved to Dubai. Like I've had other really like big kind of sexy sounding international opportunities come up before, but there were other reasons I couldn't do it. Like I was, I was married. I couldn't take my dog, like what, like whatever reason. And anybody who says your dog is not an important enough reason to you. Cause my dog was the reason for plenty of things in my life. But like at different points in my life, there were other reasons I couldn't. Finally, I get something that comes in and it's a big, hairy, audacious, like huge ass thing. And, and like playing up to my biggest ego weakness, it is in Dubai and I would be a woman leading this humongous technology initiative. So girl in two boys clubs running the show. And like my initial reaction when she first called me to figure out if I was interested was, oh, hell yes, I will be on the next damn plane. And then I went to bed and the next day I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about the actual work and the day in, day out reality of what that work is. Never mind the Dubai factor, never mind me being, you know, a liberal Maldi feminist <laughs> in a very conservative part of the world. Um, but I'm like, just thinking about the work and I'm like, blah, like it doesn't even sound fun. But I get excited at just the like enormity factor. And then I get into the reality of the day and it's just, dude, it is just a drudge. Oh, I don't really want to do that. But it's taken me 20 plus years to learn to stop my, oh, hell yes, sign me up and buy me a plane ticket from, do I really want to do that already? You really. just hit on something that made that situation something that me and Japri laugh about. Like we literally laugh about it. So later, later after I made the decision, I, I coined the statement and in my meditation, she's like, I want fries and a milkshake from that place. And normally the one in our area, like, like they get the food to us extremely fast. And this one time I made it, I made it to the window. This particular day after I made the decision, like it's not for me, doesn't match, doesn't line up. And I get to the window and I'm looking in the window and I start laughing at myself. And just what you just said, I was like, dude, what made you think that you wanted to do that? for the foreseeable future was like and i mean i'm like rolling in the wind like like the young lady had to think i was crazy like she was like what is this dude laughing at and i was like allure i'm looking in here and i'm like what were you what were you thinking like that at this stage in your life just to your point like just because you can that not it like totally not it and so i just you just hit it i was like cracking 
up at myself was like, but how many people just continue to push and push? That's it. It it can only be funny because you realized before you made a mistake that you couldn't get out of easily. Right. If you had, if you had gone all in and six months into it, you're like, oh crap. I made a bad call here. It would not be funny. You, you, not at all. all, You would be all locked in. You'd be financially obligated. Mm -hmm. You would have like the sacrifice level, like, dude, they would not have been funny, but it can be funny. And this is, I think the thing that makes me feel somewhat better about, you know, those days when I, again, when my friend called me and said, Hey, are you interested in this job in Dubai? My immediate answer to her was, Oh, hell yes. Of course I want that. Now, having said that, she's also smart enough and knows me well enough to know that, like, give me a couple days to kind of, you know, circle back around, make sure I'm still good. So when I texted her two days later, I'm like, you know, the more I think about this, the more I'm thinking not so much. And she was cool with that. And she doesn't get her knickers in a twist about that kind of stuff, which is great. But the thing is, is that if I had found myself up to my eyes, in Dubai, like I packed up my life, moved everything, moved to Dubai, taken on this project. And I was up to my eyeballs in this and all kinds of other people were depending on me. And all of a sudden I had buyer's remorse. That would have been a, there would have been nothing funny about that. Nothing at all. I would have been disappointing people who were counting on me. I would have been abandoning a project that was depending on me. I would have like felt like a complete schmuck for having agreed to something that it turns out I really didn't want to do. But again, you have to get to the point where you understand what matters to you enough to have a filter there to be able to listen objectively, get toss the romantic notions of what it could be or what it should be or what like all the fairy tale crap, kick it out of your head. What is it? How is my life going to look in the morning when I wake up? And until I go to bed at night, what does that day look like? And is that what I want my life to be? And if you can't say yes to that, then it is not the right business, whether you're building it, buying it, inheriting it, or, or running it for someone else. It doesn't matter. What does your life look like every day? Yeah. And, and I really see this as something you just mentioned there, particularly around the people involved in this decision. And I'm so grateful uh, to have a life partner like I do, who was listening with the objective ear around one, listening out for the opportunity, asking thoughtful questions, but then asking thoughtful questions of me about this opportunity and did I and was I seeing myself correctly and the crazy part about my my crazy wife um is that she will call me on my stuff like to the extent like she'll quote back my stuff and she knows that that's that's the ticket to get me is to quote back my stuff and she, and and she quoted some stuff oh man and she got me and I had and I had to sit and it and it was in those moments, like you said, because normally early in life, we get down the road, we try to make the like the round peg, square hole, it's gonna go. And I'm telling you, and pounding that sucker in. And then you're like, ah, it's not gonna fit. <laughs> yeah. 
after after you've damaged people, damaged relationships, and then but oh my gosh, the remorse and and the stress in then do stress and the the anxiety of man, I and then being prideful and ego is like I can't let this fail. Um, so you continue to work and work and work, and and again, what you said, you wake up and you go to sleep and it's the perpetual groundhog day. And before you know it, two years has turned into 20 and you're like hating it or you or every day you're waking up trying to figure out how to get out of it. And which whatever case you're in, it's a bad deal. And so getting clear, being honest and open and transparent with yourself early. And, and, and again, I can't stress enough, get with someone who can help you talk through these things. I would say anybody that it, this is a, if you're looking to make any type of business decision of this magnitude, get with somebody that's objective to this, that can really sit you down and be like, okay, why this, why now? Like, and really have that conversation and then count the cost. That's really what it was. When I came down to it, I was like, I literally planted seeds for my business that are now coming to pass. And I'm having, January's gonna be a record month for me because of those seeds. And, and again, it's setting up the rest of the year to be a record year in my thing. And I loved how you started this with, hey, if you have that itch and you say, you know what? I wanna punch my own ticket. I wanna make this investment into a franchise or open up your own business, brick and mortar, whatever it is, then count the cost and then go all in. And, and again, are there going to be those ebbs and there's flows of emotion and all that stuff? Yes, there are. But if you feel like that's your work and that's what you what you want to do and desire to do every single day, then be happy in it. Be in, but not begrudgingly being a business owner. That is, that is not a way to be a business owner. That's actually a really, I think, a really useful way to look at it too, right? So and 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 again. There are so many ways you can be a business owner. You can start your own. You can buy something that you know somebody is trying to retire and then wants to sell off. You can you know run something for someone else, even though you don't really really own it. Own it. You're just responsible for it. franchises. I think franchises I think are a very sexy kind of opportunity for people who like the idea but are still nervous about kind of what goes into a lot of it because they do come with a lot of structure and a lot of uh, kind of a support infrastructure that can be very valuable if you're new to this but they also come with compromises right and they come with you have to be willing to play by someone else's rules and the thing that's always interesting to me and this is funny this this to me is always the funny thing about you looking at a franchise is that you ain't so good about playing with other people's rules, my friend, which which is one of the things I most love about you because I have the exact same problem. But I always found it interesting that that was not a deterrent. So for me, that's always been a big deterrent about a franchise model. There are plenty of other things like my fiance. So interestingly here, there's a there's a, a bar, restaurant and pool hall, which my fiance loves going to even worse. It's named Wrigley Field and he's a Chicago boy. So like he's like, it's like the moment he saw this sign and then to make matters worse, they make like the best pork cracklins like on the planet, like just ridiculous. So like he'll go there and get like, I mean, anyway, whatever. Like it's a good, and so he just started randomly having fantasies about buying this place. 
long before we had decided whether or not we were going to stay here or anything else, but just like he had this sort of romanticized notion of buying. He and his best friend used to run a restaurant, so he gets that. And my perspective is, dude, I don't really want to cash business. Like, like if we're going to buy a business, like totally down with that. Again, fourth generation entrepreneur, have no issue buying a business, but I kind of like the recurring revenue model. I kind of like you know, large enterprise, like big B2B clients, large long-term contracts. Like I live in a B2B business kind of universe for the most part. So, you know, he's talking about, you know, a bar and a pool hall. I'm thinking, do cash, messy, bad bookkeeping, employees ripping you off, drunk assholes at your bar. Like, you know, <laughs> dude, the owner of the bar has now hired my fiance to come in and be his, his like regular handyman because the drunk jerks in a bar go in and they break the toilet handle in the bathroom. I swear to God, he fixes the damn toilet every single week because just, and I'm thinking to myself, that's really the business you want to work in? I, I don't want to own, <laughs> I don't want to own a business. And so it's been an interesting conversation for, for the two of us because he had been very attached to the idea of going back to running a restaurant and bar and pool hall and everything else. And now that he's sort of just far enough away, he's like, dude, drunk people are jerks. Like, I don't, who wants to do with that? You know, and there are parts of it that he likes. So we're talking, so as we keep talking, we're like, okay, look, we're, we're getting ready to move again, you know, a few states away. But I'm like, well, maybe instead of, you know, a restaurant or a bar, like he likes the thing that he likes because he's, you know, a machinist slash contract. He likes going in and fixing the and, and replacing or fixing equipment. He likes he likes that part of like, OK, so maybe we focus on restaurant repair and equipment, you know, repair and re repair and replacement. Like maybe that's the focus or maybe there's a different focus. Like how do you how do you recraft the parts that you like so that you get, you know, he likes he likes the restaurant lifestyle. He likes knowing he, he he's one of those people who always likes knowing the owner when you walk into a place like he loves that. Like, I don't give a shit about that. So for me, that's not a thing, but it is for him. And I totally get that. So, dude, if you're the repair guy who, you know, fixes their deep fryer and their dishwasher and their convection oven, they'll still know you, but you don't have to be in that business. So how do you get the parts that like, how do you start figuring out like the parts that you like? in the parts that maybe you don't want and then figuring out what does that mean and what are the different views so as you were going through this like what how how did some of that start surfacing for you yeah and and to your point it was it was really i was thinking about the parts that i wanted to do and not the whole kit and caboodle thing like and and as i thought about going to mop and model leadership and mopping and taking out trash and all these other things. I was thinking to myself, like, dude, yeah. Oh my God. And it was like, like, and again, and it was like, you know, I had to, I had to go reach back to when I was, you know, at Steak and Shake and as a college student at in midnight shift. Um, when last time I had to do that. And, but it was like, but you want to lead that? Like, and it was like, think about you at that age. You want more of that? Um, and, and it was all of that. And but I was like, but I'm a great leader. But it, again, it I had the conversation with myself to your point. Okay, what are the parts you actually want? And then where is that missing? And and I was like, it's not. Like I, that's boss. Like today, like I like being able to go into an organization 
help you establish a foundation and development programming. And I like to just come in and out. And, and the, the leadership thing is, it's more of a partnership, right? Yeah, I invoice you, right? That goes to your finance person and they do what they do. But it's a partnership, it's a relationship. And that part about that structure and everything else, it was a, it was a byproduct that I really wasn't acknowledging until my wife kind of called it out. And just how you just did, you were like, she's like, you really? Why, why you wanna make them money? And I was like, oh my gosh. And then she hit me with this one. You're gonna, you're gonna love, you're gonna really love her after this one. She pulled my card. She goes, uh, have you really given boss 100% of you yet? Oh, Matt down. Oh, you got to give your wife a high five for me on that one. Golly, I was like, really? And this was like eight o'clock in the morning. I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I let, a, let a brother get his nine o'clock coffee or something <laughs> first. <laughs> coffee, man. Ah, uh, but it was. But it was so real. And I was like, you got me. I was, and, and again, and to sit there and be like, you got me. If I haven't even given me 100% yet, and I'm still able to see the level of success, what if? Yeah. Okay, I got to put my butt in gear. And, and it was like, if you really want to do this, show yourself what 100% looks like. And that's, that's what I believe a lot of time. And you, and you said it, you were like, when, some, when you feel like you have the support and structure of something, mm -hmm. I believe there's some, some, some semblance of comfort, of safety, of, of other things. And, and it can, some, for some people, like that's what they wanted. Yeah, it's a um, financial investment, but at least the structure is there versus if you're going to do it on your own and you have to create that structure. And again, like you said, whatever level it is, count the cost and count the level of effort is really what, what the, the point I'm trying to make, the level of effort associated with what you choose. And, and again, to your point, is that the work that you want to do? Well, and, and so, I think I think there's a really, there's also a bigger picture way of looking at it too, that sure. I think is also right. Because at the end of the day, I, you and me both have, have seen plenty of examples where the right professional environment can be the catalyst for someone to discover their ability to do more, better, amazing stuff than they ever imagined, right? Especially people who come from backgrounds where they might not have had the educational opportunity, they might not have had family support, they might not have had any number of opportunities, but they're hungry and they want to do it. They don't necessarily know how to do it all themselves, but they want to and they're willing to put in the effort. But the thing is, we live in an uneven universe, right? There's not that many ways that people who have that drive and that desire, but don't necessarily have that structure or that discipline or that background to do it. I think a franchise is perfect for that kind of person. The kind of person who knows they want more, who knows that, you know what, punching somebody else's clock in that kind of traditional way is not gonna cut it, 
but they are either not yet confident enough in themselves or they just don't have the education to even know where to start. So in those kinds of cases, I think a franchise is one of the best tools to help them really feel like they can stand on their own, they can fly, they can do all kinds of stuff. But the reality is you don't need that. I don't need that. You don't need that because we come from different backgrounds and we have way different temperaments. You and I, neither one of, neither you nor I have a humongous ego problem when it comes to our own ability to believe in what we can do. So you know what? There's a certain kind of like macro view that says, you know what? Maybe it's just better to leave that kind of a structured opportunity to someone who really needs that structure to be successful. Mm-hmm. I'm good over here and I can run with my own stuff and uh, you know i'm not good at following rules anyway so i'll leave it to someone who was really going to get value out of that because the thing that i love about your story what as you're going through mm-hmm. this process is you did talk to people who got enormous value out of that structure out mm-hmm. of the support that they provided and and i think this is maybe one of the hardest things and it comes back to that idea of like ooh, the idea of something sexy versus the reality right because there's also that sense of community that you were hearing about from people, right? It's like yep. feeling involved, feeling connected, feeling like you're one, you're one person who's part of a, a team that's rowing together. Even if you're your own operator, there are others who are in this have a similar kind of story to you. And I think there's enormous power in that kind of like anchoring in a community that's got passion and purpose and and a common vision. But again, is it your specific vision and how much of your vision or your purpose you have to compromise to row in that particular race with that particular team of people and yes it's always sexy and appealing especially dude we've been working from home for the last year like there is a certain amount of dear god just let me go to an office every day and have coffee with people like in person please anything because that community piece has huge emotional resonance and value. I mean, how many times you and I do it all the time. We get on a call and we start talking about ideas and like something sparks because that's how stuff happens. And so there's, there's tremendous anchoring in that, in the value that comes with that when it comes to something like that franchise model or something where you can say, look, I want to be a part of something bigger, but I want a certain degree of autonomy. And I think the thing that, that I love about what you kind of discovered as you were going through this process is, yeah, the community part is great. Love that. I think there's great value in that, but I'm not willing to sacrifice the things I would have to sacrifice to be a part of that community. Definitely. Definitely. And, and I, and I love that as it pertains to, like you said, it's, it makes sense for those people who, who need that, that type of thing. And, and it really came down to, like you said, in that moment of, it was actually my ego that was actually pushing me to do it and try it. And you were a soldier before you followed orders before you could do it again. But like, Big Lawrence was like, why? <laughs> like, that's, that's the question though, right? Yeah. I think most of when, when we, I think when we all, and all of us have this, yep. right? There are certain things that our ego will push us to do. And it's sometimes really hard. So one of my biggest weaknesses, right? As I am, which is hard to tell on video, I am five foot four. I have historically been the only girl in a boys club. 
I have also been the midget. Like my last like leadership team, I was one one of four, the only woman, and the three guys were all six foot two. So like we would walk into a bar or restaurant or on a business trip. And I always felt like the hobbit with the elves because like, I was so much <laughs> But, but these weird things evolved as at over 20 years of doing that. Mm. One of them was, dude, I can drink as much as the boys. Screw that. And like, that's pure ego. Dude, my liver doesn't need that. My weight doesn't need that. My Amex my bill doesn't need that. But I was oh doing it because of my ego. I'm like, dude, I can drink these boys under the table. You kidding me? It doesn't matter that they're like, you know, have like almost a foot on me and an extra like, you know, 80 pounds of muscle. Mm -hmm. But my ego would drive me to do things. And the, the, the kinds of clients and projects and jobs I would take was another ego thing. And as soon as I started realizing that I needed to be suspicious of the situations my ego was putting me in, I had to learn to ask, why do I want this? And it was shocking to me to discover that the moment I stopped, took a breath and asked, why do I want this? That I swear to God, Lauren, 70% of the time, the answer was, oh, I actually really don't. Yeah. I didn't know that because my ego was calling the shots over and over and over and over again. And I was out of the habit of questioning that because my ego ruled. Yeah. And, and, and really it came down to the, and, and I know the answer, um, and it's still the work that I work on now, even with my coach and in, in, in business. And it's really that, who are you seeking validation from? And, and where did you not receive acknowledgement and where's the trauma in that? And, and it really, it really informed going back and doing that work and pulling it forward of where it's shown up throughout my career, where it showed up when I was ready to fight a leader, like full, like real, for real, fist the cuffs, pull my top off, throw my career on the line, court martial type of fight. Um, like all those times. And I, and I literally was like, I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel valued. And if you weren't going to give it to me, I was going to take it from you no matter the cost and that's this situation was really an ego about because of what it could be attached to then maybe they'll validate you and then the why in me was like is that really what's it about why'd you get into this work i love that your wife yeah oh she let me oh and she didn't let me because she was the first one when i was having to the ego thing early when I first transitioned out. She was like, yo, look at your resume. Go pull your resume out. I was like, I'm not going to allow you to talk to yourself like that. And, and those were the moment. And that was another moment. Why? Why? And, and it was like, boom, you're killing it right now, guy. Like, get your ego out of it. Get back to humility. Get back to confidence. Trusting in what you're doing as your work you're in position. You are about to take yourself out of position for something that wasn't yours. That's not for you. Right there. And I think that's the other piece, right? Like it it would be, I think it's really easy to find yourself making decisions like that. Like, okay, yeah, this is a great opportunity. I'll do it. 
if you haven't already figured out, no, you know what, I'm clear on what my purpose and my direction and my meaning needs to be. Because then anything you do is an, a conscious compromise against that. If you haven't done that work, it's really easy to find yourself having, you know, it's like getting married when you're 20 and then by the age of 30, you're doing like, wow, holy crap. I had no idea what I was getting into. This was not a good call. But like, the thing is like, once you know, no, this is what really matters to me. This is what I need to be doing every single day to feel like I am contributing something meaningful on this planet and that I can look myself in the mirror. Like once you know what that looks like, even if it's only vaguely in the right direction, then it becomes much, much harder to look at something else, a new opportunity and be like, but it's great money, so I'll take it. Because you can't live with that for very long. I don't know anybody, no matter, you know, I have, I have a friend who always calls himself quite the money whore and he's in the, in the beginning, and I've watched him do this a couple of times now. In the beginning, he'll accept a, a, a job, usually project-based, um, because the rate's really good. And usually a couple of months in, he's like, oh, God, this sucks. And it's funny because he's older than me and I love him to death, but he he's he's pretty good. Honestly, he's much better than than I am about just, you know, head down, just get through it, just get through it, just get through it. But he's miserable the whole time. Like my problem is once I realize I'm miserable, I'm like, ah, screw this, I'm out. But the when it comes down to it, like he still recognizes, he hits a point after that novelty, after the the ego stroke of, oh, hey, they think I'm worth all this. So I'm going to make like whatever. Then it's like, oh, Jesus, this is what my data is all look like. Ooh, ugh, I don't like this at all. But if you have to get to the point in your life when you know what those compromises look like in order to be able to really just rationally be like, you know, yeah, there's lots of upside, but I'm not, I'm not okay with the downside. Uh, not at all. And uh, yeah, this, this, the, I tell you what, this has, uh, I've been waiting to tell this story with you. No, uh, I, yeah. like, you know what? I talked to so many people who are like, Oh, I've been weighing buying a business or, you know, I've been looking for a business and I can't find one that I like or whatever it is. And the thing is, is there are so many different ways you can do this. Again, the franchise model is just one. We could talk about like, you know, yeah. starting building, buying businesses like every day for a month. But the reality is this is like something that I think is so awesome because mm -hmm. you had a really important realization yep. through this process and you didn't bail at the beginning. You got pretty deep into this process, yeah. but the lightning bolt went off and you're like, you know what? Not the right fit. But again, like there's so many things that go into that and I'm so happy for you for so many reasons. And so I'm delighted that you got to talk to us about it today. Definitely. Me too. No. I, and again, at the end of the day, we're back folks. We're yes, back. We and we're back. dropping magic this year Absolutely. in 2021. Thank God. Cause 2020 needed to end. So Woo. on that note, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you this week. We will be back next week and our regular schedule commences. Thank you. All Great right. See you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.